Sales, more well-established lesbian. Chapter 46 That moment before you wake up properly, still warm and safe in your bed, the dreamy pleasantries linger in your head. Opening my eyes doesn't change much. I guess that's an upside of needing glasses. Nothing's going to come into focus until I reach over to my bedside table and put those on. Reality though, it's not going to wait any longer, whether I can focus on it or not. And suddenly I remember everything. I remember why I feel so dehydrated. All that crying. Because Gucci's gone. I throw myself out of bed before the tears can start all over again. Ashley didn't come home. As I pee alone in the bathroom, there's no harrying cat cries urging me to serve up breakfast. It feels like the first time I've peed alone in this house ever. It's not really a silver lining, if I'm honest with you. Padding down the stairs, I step over, well, where Gucci would usually lie in the middle of the steps. Autopilot in the mornings is all Gucci focused and I'm so lost. The change in the house is beyond anything I could have imagined. It no longer feels like a home. And if the place had felt big for our little family of three before, now it feels cavernous. Where's Ash? Her phone's dead. I'm sure she's fine, but I am worried. And I'm also angry at her. I just have no idea how I'm supposed to feel. I pull myself together just to fall apart all over again minutes later. Moving house feels like a completely rational decision right now. And those people who get tattoos of portraits of their pet, suddenly those folks make a lot more sense to me. Round and round I go. Sad, calm, angry, sad, calm, angry, sad, calm, angry. And the same questions over and over again. Should I have done things differently? Where the hell is Ashley? Should I even give a shit where she is? But I do, because I want her to come home. But I also don't really want her to come home. I really want to fight about it, but I kind of never want to talk about it ever again. I really want her to be okay and make sure she's okay, but I don't really feel like I can be that person for her right now. Worse, I don't think I want to be that person for her right now. And I kind of feel ridiculous for falling apart like this over a cat. And then I fall apart knowing that she wasn't just a cat. She was our cat, my cat. I bloody loved her. When Ashley finally does come home, it's pretty hard. Her being there, so upset, is only making it more real for me. We still need to have a conversation about what we're going to do with Gucci's remains. But now is not the moment. I can't deal with that and Ash needs some time to recover from her own hangover hell. So I head off out with Rini and Lily. Brunch in the park on a sunny spring morning with a bacon sandwich of course helps keep the tears at bay for a moment. Surprisingly to me it turns out that the best therapy, aside from having great friends of course, is actually a bit of pet therapy. Between them Rini and Lily have got four dogs, 50% of which are pugs. And those guys have faces you can't be sad around. They are the perfect distraction and they are so, so gorgeous. 
but at some point I do have to go home. I'm not gonna lie, I did take my time. The house is in darkness when I got back because Ash, Ash is still sleeping it off. The next few days felt so odd. Everything was the same and nothing was the same. Ashley and I struggled to even talk to each other, let alone be there for one another. She is so angry with me. The way she looks at me. I've never been on the receiving end of this look from her. Ashley is now putting all of her efforts and attention into the choices for Gucci's remains. Having not been allowed to throw money at the problem while Gucci was alive, Ash would now spare no expense. There is no point in me saying anything because I can't say anything right or helpful or even comforting. The distance we'd put between ourselves the night of Gucci's death remains between us. And I'll be honest with you, my understanding and my compassion is running real low right now. While Ashley is proclaiming her grief loudly, I'm finding it quite hard to swallow, probably because I'm angry at her too. Ash had loved the idea of Gucci. The actual day-to-day -day monotony of scooping cat poo and early morning pleas for sustenance, not so much. The reality wasn't quite as fun. So I was struggling with the fact that Ash was so angry with me for not telling her, for not doing something about it, for not giving her any choice in the situation. And there I am, I can't help but think that if she'd have cared that much, she'd have noticed herself, that I wouldn't have had to tell her. And that I'd have given her a choice if I'd have thought she'd have even listened to my point of view for a second. We're both right and we're both wrong. But one thing is for certain, we are not helping each other right now. And what's weighing on me the most is I have no idea how we're going to get past this. How I am going to get past this. Ashley has a very simple system for dealing with things she doesn't like. She operates at two speeds, flat out or stopped. So Ash just gets real busy with work, with roller derby, with anything else she can fill her times with. And if she's not doing that, then she is stopped or passed out. Ashley has developed an exceptional talent for shoving her feelings deep, deep down and ignoring any pain she might be in and carrying on regardless. Me, I'm more of a heart on my sleeve, blood on my tie sort of woman. I can't hide my feelings nearly as well as Ash. And if you meet me this week, you're going to see the pain on my face and you're going to see it in my body language. And I'm probably going to talk to you about it too, because it's going to take me a little bit of time to get my feet back under me. Thank God there's roller derby. Honestly, it's there so often when you need it. I'm not really skating these days. I'm mostly coaching. And one of the best things about coaching is when your rookies take to the track for the first time. Betty and I went along to cheer for one of our nicest and newest skaters as she popped her cherry. And as we watched our skater acquit herself admirably, I realized why Betty and the team had cheered so loudly for me that day. That pride been so long since I've coached properly, you know, like this, where I get to see the results of their effort. And it's not just about the sport or the technique or the winning. It's actually about watching someone find a confidence in themselves that they didn't necessarily know they had. Whether it's a seven-year-old on the judo mat or a 33-year-old learning to skate, the pride is the same and you get to play a small part in helping someone begin to believe in themselves, possibly in a way they never have before. I really needed that, to cheer at the top of my voice, to let my emotions get caught up in something happy and joyful. 
Roller Derby offered a respite from the tension in our household. We might be mad with grief at each other, but we're British, so we'll be keeping this under wraps. Or at least on the surface, anyway. Ash is friends with one half of the team and talks to them, and I'm pretty much friends with the rest, and I talk to them. Between them, I'm sure they've put the rest of the story together. And it probably doesn't help when Ash and I are more than a little okay with being on opposite teams at our next upcoming Derby event. We're somewhat relishing the idea, if I'm honest. So while Ashley is staying late at work or hitting the gym, I am continuing to distract myself with spray painting. The next Rollier Derby event I mentioned is Star Wars themed, so I'm ready to get a little nerdy with my designs. I'm going to bench coach and try and flog some artwork. Stormtroopers, all of the darts. Honestly, the dark side is much cooler, aesthetically speaking, anyway. Well, that and the Imperial March is a banger of a tune. That is like proper Badman music. It seems like the Derby lot have realised that the dark side is calling me. And so while Ash lines up for the Rebel Alliance, I am coach of the Empire. Sad to say, we couldn't pull off a plot twist, so good does triumph over darkness once more. Ash enjoys a victory, and I have to try really hard not to be a sore loser. Selling a bunch of paintings helped a little, not going to lie to you. But really, Ash and I are just going through the motions. There's no talking about what has happened. Not to each other. We're just carrying on, but with this space between us perfunctory, polite, but hollow. There would be odd moments when we were kind of okay, and then one of us would remember that we were mad at the other one and the frost would settle again. And the odd moments would generally happen in or around roller derby. So, I'll be honest, I started looking for events to attend to distract us. Anarchy in the UK, number six, I think, was happening soon, and I tried to get tickets originally, but it was sold out. But as always, there's usually a couple of last-minute spares. I think watching the top teams in Europe battle it out might be a good escape for us. And we are both fangirls, so why not? Seemed like everybody else had had the same idea and I, I couldn't get tickets for love nor money. Then I spot a request for vendors. A light bulb moment. The last-minute store prices were way cheaper than buying two actual tickets. I figured this way I could flog some art and watch the roller derby too. I checked that I could uh, bring a colleague with me and I signed up as a vendor. So we drove down and I set up my stall and I send Ash off to watch the tournament. Turns out, hadn't really thought this through as I find myself peering through a porthole-like window to the sports hall. That was my window to the weekend. But at least Ash was having a good time. You see, one of the best things about roller derby is you can show up alone at an event and unless you try really, really hard, you won't be alone for long. Ash had found company, a seat and a great view. I had a stall next to the chocolate vending machine. Took me a while to realise that those excited faces coming towards me hadn't just spotted a piece of art they just had to have. No, no, they were excited about getting a Galaxy Ripple. Still, the day wasn't a total bust. Some of my favourite skaters had oohed and aahed at some of my artwork, and I'd sold enough to come out ahead on the day. And Ash and I had spent the day together, but not together, which kind of worked out pretty well for us. 
The car ride home wasn't excruciatingly awkward. I mean, I was still buzzing from actually selling my stuff to strangers. Technically, I could call myself an artist now. But let's be honest, I'm only going to do that in my head because it just sounds silly if you say it out loud. That's not something I am. That's something that other people are. I'm just sort of imitating an artist. Which, when I think about it, is pretty odd because if any one of my friends had done what I did today, I'd totally be calling them an artist and I'd be proud as heck. But I can't seem to do it for myself. Why is that so much easier to do for other people? It's real when they do it, but when I do it, not so much. That imposter syndrome shows up all over the shop, doesn't it? For reasons I cannot remember, Ash doesn't actually join me on my next night out. I'm pretty sure she had an early morning date with the gym, but once more, it's me and Mila out on the town. We bump into Lily while we're out and we drag her along to the gay bar where she shows off her Irish dancing skills in six-inch stilettos. We are impressed. But while I'm wasted, Lily has to go home and Mila and I pop her into a taxi. No mean feat, but we achieve it and we continue to drink. Mila, my wonderful single friend, is not impressed with the town's offerings. The gay bar has about as many women in it as the average boardroom does. We have a few options at this point. We can go home. We can give it up. Sleep it off. You'd be surprised to hear nobody votes for that plan. We want to continue our adventures and Mila at least wants the chance to go down, be it in flames or victory. So that means we need to go to another town. I check the trains. There's a bloody rail replacement bus. I am too drunk to be getting on a bus to London. Fuck that noise. Bam! Mila slaps both hands down on the table. To the gay club, she hollers. Oh God, I think. She's going to make me go to the Rainbow Rooms, isn't she? It's just a few towns over, but the cab is going to cost us. I'm desperately thinking if there is another option and a fourth option occurs to me. Why don't we just go back to one of the different venues in town and see if the audience has changed, if there's a different group of people in there. Maybe Mila's luck will change. But no, no, it's too late. Rooms is the only place Mila is willing to go now. And therefore, there is only one place that I am going. The last time I regularly went to the rooms was back when I was selling shoes and living with Steph. If you say Rainbow Rooms, I immediately start to hear Beyonce's Crazy in Love playing in my head and remember dancing to it with my boss and his boyfriend. As Mila and I get out of the taxi, I start to realise Rainbow Rooms has come a very long way from the dance floor with reproduction brims across its low ceiling and a series of dark rooms where anything, and I do mean anything, went. It was still plastered in rainbows. Large letters announced itself as an LGBT venue. I couldn't help but feel a tad cynical as we were standing in the queue. Gaydar is a thing. Stereotypes or not, I know when I'm in a gay club and this place was about as gay as a local working man's club. There was nothing like a trip to the toilets to confirm it. If you claim to be an LGBT plus venue, I don't tend to expect any grief when I use the toilets as a gender non-conforming woman. But nope, 
there is still the same low-level hostility going on here that I get in every other nightclub. There's questioning looks and it's just the same amount of hassle, the same sort of vibe. Mila is going to need more than a little luck in here tonight, I think, because the rooms has become a very straight venue and a bloody maze. It's been extended in every single direction and I can't get my bearings. I'm doing laps of the place and I've completely lost Mila. I push through a set of double doors and find myself in a red and black lit room. The bass line is thrumming through the floor. And as I scan the crowded room for a familiar face, I realise I am not going to find Mila. I could be following her around and not even realise it. And suddenly, I'm aware of how drunk I am and how bloody tired I am. I can't be asked with this. So I take up residence in the last bar before the exit and hope that Mila hasn't pulled and already left. Thankfully, she hasn't. She finds me and she has two women in tow. The four of us throw back some more drinks. The security tries to slowly usher us all towards the exit. We don't have to go home, but we can't stay here. Ah, oh, the old lines are the best. There is too much Jack Daniels in Mila for her to realise that these two women are not even slightly interested in her in that way. But she is not going to give this last attempt up. Mila talks the barman into one more round of shots. I already know I'm going to regret this in the taxi. As our empty glasses hit the bar, the woman Mila has been flirting with announces that her boyfriend is now here to collect them. She's so glad that they came to a gay club because everybody's just been so lovely. They kiss Mila on the cheek and leave. Mila is incredulous. Actually stands there with her mouth open. She did not see it coming. I mean, to be fair, she is that drunk. I thought she'd at least seen it coming twice, but nope. Mila reviews her interpretation of the evening's events somewhat forensically as I am hanging my head out of the taxi window on the way home very accurately regretting those shots. I'm still regretting them on Sunday afternoon. I'm hanging out of my ass, and my mood is not the best. Things have been decidedly average between Ashley and I for some time now, and Gucci dying had not brought us closer together. And honestly, I really thought it would have. Even as Ash ran away from the worst of it, and as she said those horrible things, I'd still kind of thought that once the initial awfulness had passed, we'd figure it out. But it wasn't happening in any way. And as another evening ticked by, we sat in separate rooms in separate bubbles of pain. Try as I did, I could not let my anger go. I couldn't just put it aside to focus on Ash. I couldn't put it down in any way at all. So I kind of just took a leaf out of Ash's book and tried to ignore it. Ignore that I wasn't happy. Ignore that I couldn't see a way back. Ignore that I couldn't see a way out. Push those feelings down. Keep pushing them down until that question, is this how you want to live your life, stops going through my mind. I need to bury it because the answer, the answer is something I am not ready to hear right now, even if I already know what it is. Times like this, friends help a lot. It's so much easier to ignore everything you've covered in rubble when you're falling about laughing at the Monday night quiz 
or watching the blooper reel for the really fancy new advert Betty's boyfriend Clyde has made for our team. Oh my God, we have never looked so bloody cool. Ashley and I hosted the screening for the team. It's a roller derby thing after all, one of those areas where we could work together still quite well. 15 of us packed into the living room for the premiere. By the time the last straggler had left and we cleaned up most of the place, Ash and I were almost normal together. Not all the way okay, but it felt like something gave a little tonight. A thawing on both sides. For the first night in what felt like forever, we went to bed at the same time. That sounds like nothing, I know, but it wasn't a moment of togetherness, of wanting to be in the same place at the same time. It gave me a bit of hope. And the thaw did continue, painfully slowly, but continue it did. And I was relieved, not just because I didn't want to be angry all the time, but because the house became a nicer place to be again, and also because we had an event coming up. And I really did not want us to be those arguing, dramatic lesbians. Especially not a Baz's big birthday bash, which Clemmy has organised at a grand hall. It's a Moulin Rouge-esque theme, and costumes are optional, but come on now, people. The opportunity to dress up is so up my street. Ashley is pleased as punch to get another chance to wear that spectacular burlesque can-can corset outfit she had for her 30th again. And I am pleased to be able to dress like the penniless writer who believes in love. Above all things, love. <laughs> all right, Henley, a pair of braces, top hat, and I am done. I swear sometimes it's the simplicity of menswear that I adore that and a monochrome palette I might be mad at her but Ashley looks like a million dollars and to be fair she does make us look good which helps because oh my days Clemmy has thrown a spectacular bash for Baz as you walk in the hall you see every carefully considered detail you can't help but be impressed and think that Baz is a very lucky man it was one of the best nights. And do you want to know what the height of the drama was? The piles of feathers Ashley's skirt was leaving all over the venue and this, the one and only time I've ever seen Clemmy so squiffy that she had to be taken home. To be fair to her, she did deserve to celebrate. Party planner and hostess extraordinaire. The highlight of my evening was when some random lady sent me a slow-mo video of Ashley's cleavage. How, why, what? These were all questions that came to mind. But some nights, you just need to have another drink and set your brain at boob level and be done with it. And let's be honest, I couldn't and didn't want to think about anything else. So I'm keeping it simple right now and I am going to chase all of the distractions. Mila's gone and had herself an idea. Why don't a bunch of us head to her home country, Latvia, Riga specifically? Mila's going to show us the sights. She wants to pop in and see her mum, of course. And then apparently there's a festival in a forest, a massive music festival, and there's a beach right next to it. All right, that sounds amazing. I'm in. Sold. Sign me up right now. I don't even care about the lineup. So we start adding people to the group. 
And in the end, it turns out it's going to be me, Ashley, Mila, Phoebe and Erin at the final count. Betty and Rini had seemed interested until we mentioned that camping was involved. There were no actual beds. This was no bueno. When your friends range from mid-twenties to early forties, finding something that everybody wants to do isn't always the easiest thing. Sometimes it's best to just let people know themselves. Naturally, this being Mila's idea and a trip to her home country, she takes the lead on the adventure. And between her and Ash, I think this whole thing is gonna get organized quick smart. I am just trying very hard to keep the control freak in me quiet. I don't need to be in charge of everything, I tell the bossy only child who lives inside me. All I need to do is get through this without saying, why don't we just... I figure I don't need to cause any more friction in my life, so I just let them get on with it. I'm too busy trying to stay busy. So if there's an invitation out, I accept it. If there isn't, I find a reason to go out anyway. Anthony Joshua versus Vladimir Klitschko gives Mila and I all the reason we need. I am fully team AJ and Mila is back in Klitschko. It's a whole night of trash talking, drinking and clowning around. We find a great spot to watch the fight and I am as annoying as can be when our boy AJ wins. I am gloating, there's roughhousing, play fighting, whatever you want to call it. It's an aspect of my more masculine friendships that I fucking adore because there's no judgment about it from other people. It's some sort of extension of that boys will be boys nonsense, I think, maybe. But it's a safer place to get that physical touch that we all need as human beings. Any type of physicality within my feminine friendships has come with some sort of judgment. I must fancy her. I must want something. It can't possibly be platonic. And getting firmly put in that boy box and dealing with the same nonsense as them, I get it. You know, everything you do is sexualized. Whatever age you dare to come out at, there will be those people that will question you. How can you be sure you're gay? How can you possibly know? And of course, the younger you are, the more insistent this type of questioning is likely to be. Yet, a boy toddler displays basic humour interaction with a girl toddler and suddenly everyone has them paired up, coupled up, married off. Is it any wonder that boys, and sometimes those of us who get lumped in with them, grow up to view women as prizes when any interactions we have growing up negates the possibility of friendship with women? And don't forget, we're always someone's daughter, someone's wife, someone's sister. If the world is only able to value me through my relationship to men, what on earth does that mean for me as a lesbian? Sometimes, honestly, it makes me feel safer in the world. And then, conversely, in certain situations, it actually makes me feel like I'm in danger, like this is not a good place to be. And sometimes, sometimes it just makes me think that there's no place in the world for me as just a human. I know a lot of people feel like this these days. I just want to be. But then, then you make friends with someone who gets it. Now, I wouldn't go around calling Mila a butch. I don't believe she'd ever use it to describe herself, but I would definitely be brave enough to say that she's probably butch adjacent, or at least very butch understanding. And that understanding of me, on what I feel like is quite a basic level, 
was a bit of a rare gem and I really appreciate it. Because aside from the clowning around, Mila's good to talk to. I vent my annoyance with the situation and my anger and my upset. I sit and try and come up with solutions and I bounce them off her. I try to reconcile my feelings with the frustrations of day-to-day life with Ashley. Mila listens to it all. And then we forget about it and go out and get wasted. Now, technically, I am supposed to be Mila's wingman. But I'll be honest with you, this situation needs more assistance than I can muster. Our town has a distinct lack of women loving women action going on. Now, Lily, she's also young, free and single. So we're out one Saturday night and the three of us carry on after everybody else has sensibly called it a night. Mila, of course, wants to head for the gay bar. Lily just wants to stay in the bar we're at. Now she hit what one wasted a little while ago and I, I'll be honest with you, I'm not convinced we're gonna get Lily into another bar. Mila and I discuss our options, our tactics, our strategy for the remainder of the night. Which boils down to which of the high street do we want to be on? Mila wants to know, will Lily come to the gay bar again? I want to know, will Alan the doorman let her in even if we get her there? We've been so busy plotting then neither one of us has clocked that Lily has just disappeared. So we down our drinks and go to try and find her. We catch up with her at the door. She's had enough of our nattering like old ladies, an actual quote, and has decided that we should all go across the road to the other pub, which Lily does without so much as a glance at the oncoming traffic. Dodging pedestrians in the middle of our high street is a skill our taxi drivers must have. This one does well. I catch Lily's arm and drag her back onto the pavement as he swerves around her. We endure the orchestra of car horns and Lily, unimpressed at being impeded, makes another break for it. She's over in the second lane now when she drops her clutch back. Its contents explode all over the road. Lily is now shouting something about Mac this and Urban something that. She's now fully blocking the high street. In the glare of the headlights, I'm trying to clear the road of handbag debris and Lily, who is blaming the taxis for making her drop her handbag. Out of the watching crowd steps Murphy, one of my work colleagues. He's on the floor picking stuff up and helping me get Lily back onto the pavement. I could have kissed his gorgeous face but there's no time because Lily is still Larry as and the doormen are having none of it and they're not letting her in. I think it's taxi time. The rank is just up the road. I mean literally 20 yards away and it takes all three of us to get Lily from there into the taxi and then it takes all of my charm to try and convince the driver to take Lily home. I can understand his reluctance to transport the gobby drunk in the back of his taxi right now. But I am begging him and offering to pay him double if he does this for us. The point becomes completely moot as Lily climbs out of the other side of the cab. Damn it. I pull my head out of the passenger window and go to grab her. Except we both end up getting grabbed by a copper who has been watching the whole world of nonsense unfold. Honestly, I'm kind of relieved. Lily has got at least half a foot on me before she puts her heels on. 
And when she's drunk, she turns into one of those sort of wind tunnel guys you see outside car dealerships. You know, the ones where they blow air up through it and it looks like they're waving their arms around in the air like they just don't care. Well, if you grab Lily around the middle, she just falls over like her air blower has been turned off. <laughs> it's like it's like wrestling a drunk baby giraffe. But thankfully, this copper is now in charge of holding Lily up. But he's threatening to arrest us both. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold up a second, my friend. I'm kind of okay with you arresting Lily. I am not okay with you arresting me because I am not nearly drunk enough to deserve being arrested and I was just trying to keep Lily safe. I managed to explain this to him in a way that annoys him probably slightly more but Lily is definitely getting to him more than I am because she is now alternating between flirting with him and trying to run away from him. He's a bit suspicious of me, but Lily is being a handful and I think he's decided that my plan of just getting Lily into a taxi and sending her home is actually a good one. So he does. He loads her into a taxi. I sort the money out and away she goes. Whew. And he doesn't arrest me. I take a deep breath and Mila, Murphy and I all head to the gay bar to dance it off. I have most certainly made up for my lack of drunkness by the time Steps' deeper shade of blue comes on and we bust out the whole dance routine. So that's how life is for now. Ash and I are together but we spend so much more time apart. I'm out as often as possible and I'm drinking way too much. Some sort of stupid if you can't beat them join them mentality. I started to know that I wasn't respecting my own limits when I get to that point where I just start leaving on a night out without saying a word. Whether you want to call it an Irish goodbye, a French exit, ghosting, I'm scarpering without so much as a word. Because Booze and I aren't actually friends and too much of it takes me from that fun distracting place to a maudlin and melancholy state of mind. And my troubles are still there when I sober up. They've just got a hangover for company now. Happy New Year to you, the wonderful listeners of Tales of a Well-Established Lesbian. Welcome back. Feels like ages ago New Year does now, doesn't it? Nine days in though, that's all we are. Nine days in to 2022. But in the story, we've just hit 2017. So we are finally starting to catch up. I've got to say, you don't want to go anywhere. 2017 was a big year for me. So you best get yourselves ready for next week's chapter. In the meantime, let's get back to some podcast business, ratings and reviews. Wherever you listen, please, please, please leave a review or rating. It really helps other people to find the show. A big, big thank you to everyone who's taken the time to submit a rating or a review on any of the platforms, especially you folks on Spotify with your shiny and new star button. Please go forth and award stars. They don't even have to be gold, I'm just saying. Don't forget to subscribe or donate as little as £1 a month to keep the show ad-free. Or think of it as sponsoring a lesbian. Just £3 a month could make a real difference to a butch trying to make a podcast. <laughs> Finally, whatever you do, make sure you're following on Insta or Facebook. 
And don't forget you can find a community of listeners over on Reddit. R slash T-O-A-W-E-L is just for you folks. Well, I'm there too. So come on over and say hi. Well, I guess that's normal service resumed. So let's get on with this year and the rest of this story. Thanks as always for the privilege of your time and take care of you.